0: Welcome all, I'm Marnie Stockman, and today on Bits and Books, thanks for joining us, we are talking about Adam Grant's Hidden Potential. So before we jump in, let me let uh, Kyle and Tim introduce themselves. And I'm curious when you introduce yourself, when you first saw the title Hidden Potential, what you thought it was going to be about? So Kyle, I will start with you hidden potential what did you think it was going to be about uh
1: my name is Kyle Spooner I uh am a board member and vice president of MSP geek I'm also the director of operations of an MSP uh when I first saw the title um I assumed it was a book about uh identifying um diamonds in the rough uh as the you know one of the, the the photos on there um that was my understanding of the book when i first looked
0: yeah tim how about you
1: hi tim golden uh founder of compliance scorecard
2: and yeah marnie as always and kyle thank you for putting this all together um you know when i saw the title hidden potential obviously some of it went to my comic relief and I was like oh my gosh shepherd's pie but made with peas look there's hidden potential in my shepherd's pie but as I related it to business and I related it to either RMSP or just in other things around in our life I thought kind of like Kyle was saying like the, the diamond in the rough or being able to like see something in somebody and recognize maybe that's a way for them to grow and expand themselves or personally or whatever. And I was like, yeah, I think I'm going to kind of lean a little bit on Kyle on the like diamond and rough comment.
0: Fair. So a good bit of it. And the subtitle is the science of of achieving greater things. Uh, And the blurb on on the cover talks about the fact that nobody's surprised at high achievers that seem to have an advantage right out of the gate, right? Yeah. So, um, if you obviously come from, you know, a, a place where you you've given up, been given opportunity, that you tend to, you know, fare well because of that. But he said that if you're really looking for the hidden potential, you're looking <laughs> to see folks who have closed a gap, um, and have grown a further, you know, they've come a further distance to get from where they are you know, where they Mm -hmm. were where they are. So, Mm -hmm. Tim, I'm going to ask you, can you think of anyone in your life that you feel like, in fact, like maybe you've hired somebody that had a hidden potential where that story would be a a truth?
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, you know, as even before answering that question, kind of thinking about the first one a little bit. Right. And and I'm no expert. Um, but I've done a little research around neurodiversity. I don't know if you know anything about that. Um, and, I, you know, the, the hours worth of reading or five seconds worth of reading that I've tried to understand there, um, you know, especially as it relates to MSPs and cybersecurity and cybersecurity kind of SaaS companies, like there's a lot of hidden potential in those that if I say it politically correct, identify or whatever as neurodiverse. And so, you know, when I think about that and I think about like who in my life or who in our staff or who in whatever, you know, a couple of people come to mind and one in particular, you know, they, they worked in religion ministry, so on and so forth. And, you know, bringing them on as a technologist, um, it actually worked out really well because, you know, frontline people or whatever, having that calmness about them in the fray of an incident or the fray of a ticket or the fray of a thing right because they you know went to seminary they went to like they were trained in that like calmness so dealing with you know as a technician dealing with that baloney that we have to like they just had that calmness that they were able to bring to, to the organization and I thought that was like and I didn't realize that until obviously having them work in tickets and sitting beside them on phone calls and hearing just how
0: their reactions do. Yeah. Yeah. so it's yeah. interesting to say that because Kyle and I had a conversation around who would make good customer success managers for or VCIOs etc for managed service providers and we talked about teachers to which Kyle said my wife's a nurse and they yeah. offer some of the same skills in mm. a different way Kyle you remember mm. that <laughs> I,
1: absolutely um I was actually just thinking uh, about that um and how that it's remarkable how different industry skill sets transfer to other and completely separate industries um Mm -hmm. because when you think about it uh and I actually have you know this this thought process I you know discovered this a couple of months ago just thinking about something um tasks in an industry tasks in a job matter so much less than the ability to understand and learn um you can teach anybody to pick up a phone and say hey thank you for calling MSP uh, I understand you have a service issue how can I help you today right you can teach that you can't teach very effectively constantly like the empathy right it takes years to learn that um you can't you, you can't teach the the understanding of what's happening in the client's mind or with mm-hmm. whoever's calling's mind, right? It is so much more difficult to to have that. so those who are naturally born with those have a much bigger advantage um mm-hmm. than than those who don't have those skill sets uh, even if they don't necessarily f- share their abilities to I've met people who are horribly emotionless, but you get them on the phone with someone who's <laughs> uh mad or upset and it is like night and day it's like they're full of emotion and empathy and it's just like where does where
0: does that live adam grant does talk about the fact that there when a lot of technical skills are leveling the playing field and becoming commoditized there's a character revolution and tim doesn't is wasn't your wife a nurse
2: (laughs) yeah it, so it's really funny right so i mean for those that don't know we're a process oriented company i'm a over the achiever process oriented person and my wife been a nurse for 20 years and you know being a nurse process is like a thing and so you know when when maureen came on as as one of my co-founders here it just worked right she didn't know enough about tech she didn't need to because she had me i she didn't need to deal with the the you know whatever so to bring it back full circle right there are other industries other disciplines that can really you know benefit msps you know if you're a process oriented msp nurses are probably a good fit you know if you're if you're an educational msp trying to bring forward you know uh, the the you know the stuff around cybersecurity to your customers teachers like marnie are a great fit you know and so just thinking about the other industries that we can tap into to find that hidden potential
1: retail just retail, retail. Any, anyone who works in retail is uh as someone who's done it before you have my thanks uh yes. <laughs> yes it is it is a thankless job uh and you were on the front lines and people yell at you constantly for things you have negative control over yeah. uh and you're just a drone at that point uh so the but those people understand and deal with bad people uh bad situations constantly mm-hmm. uh and that will absolutely make a diamond out of carbon according to so the, it's
0: funny one morning i uh, so there were two of us who were directors of customer success in a huge company and we were having breakfast at miss shirley's <laughs> and um and The waiter was simply over-the-top amazing, Mm -hmm. where we gave him our business card and said, I don't know what you're thinking you want to do for the rest of your life, but if you have any interest in customer success, we would love to chat with you because Mm. you have the right mindset of wanting to help others, of wanting to you know, like find out it was all about, and Jim, we, we chatted with your team about this, like, how do you make it about the, you know, your clients, not about you, this waiter understood, like the guy that I was working with, he's one of those, that takes an hour and a half to ask every question about everything on the menu. And the guy got him and was like, you know what, sir, I think you would love to hear about this. And it was just really impressive. So I do think that's how you can find some of those diamonds. Jim, welcome to the party
3: hey thanks for uh, inviting me i've been trying to get on here for months so uh you know i love reading and uh seems like a cool group so thanks excellent Enjoy. do you
0: want to introduce yourself so anybody listening will know uh yeah about-
3: uh, i'm jim i'm jim smith i'm a sagittarius i more of a puppy guy than a cat guy <laughs> um, Hey, man <laughs>
2: awesome
3: <laughs> um no so i'm an msp uh, i own a company called proper sky and uh Marnie and I have worked together from Lifecycle Insight. She's been helping us with some coaching and some consulting and stuff. But uh, you know, on LinkedIn, I can see that we're all sort of fellow uh, self-improvers. And so uh, I'm all about uh, connecting and learning. Uh, so that's kind of why I'm here today.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. Um, Good to have, have you. Nice. Have, <laughs> <laughs> have you read the book Hidden Potential or are you here to learn about the book Hidden Potential?
3: So I have it in my audio book with like 75 other ones. I'm more of an audio book yeah. guy. I listen when I drive to yeah. work nice uh, to and man. I have. That's- yeah. <laughs> we can be friends. That's me.
0: <laughs> so, so when I when I get a book for bits and books. I have to get the the printed copy so that I can write notes along the way because otherwise I spend my whole time because I, I walk and read or walk and, and listen, but I would constantly if I'm listening, I'm also knitting at the same time. And then I have to stop, get my phone out, bookmark where I am when I want to talk about something. So <laughs> I've like for bits and books, I have to read, but I have certainly gotten better about audiobooks um so because we're talking about like the opportunity of to hire from outside the industry and i think talking hiring is super important because it is a struggle for a lot of folks right now um first i'm a big ted lasso fan many of you already know that Um, and rebecca welton at one point ted lasso's trying to saying he she can fire him because you know, they didn't have a great season. And she said, do you think you're not a, because you're not a proper coach, you weren't a good fit here? Because he didn't know anything about, um, you you know, London football, which is soccer. He had been an American football coach. And she said, there's a saying that every disadvantage has its advantage. And so coming from another industry sometimes gives you another perspective. Right before we started Lifecycle Insights, I've been in the world of education, not in the MSP space, and I, as I say on lots of podcasts, I thought that stood for Maryland State Police. So, you know, I, I've learned a lot of things in a short period of time. So, I think that all goes to like finding that hidden potential. Um, you can look outside where you think the expected skill will become because the soft skills, to Kyle's point, um, is a little harder to teach. Not that they can't be taught for the record, right? Um, on I'm going to hold this up. It's on page 138 of the book there is a graph on teaching versus coaching. For those listening as they drive their car, I'm gonna read what it says so you don't have to squint at your phone. So in the teaching column, if you are a teacher, it is all about building competence, finding out about a subject by teaching it to others. Um, An example, when your parents need tech support, right? Like you had to teach them what to do Um, and then we will learn this is sort of the the attitude if you are a teacher of a skill versus a coach of the skill is more about building confidence finding your own motivation by motivating others um this is more about like when your kids won't listen to you so i'm also (laughs) thinking kyle the the notion of teaching a skill versus a soft skill right like when your kids will not listen to you that's not you're not teaching them a skill (laughs) you're you're working on yourself to Mm -hmm. to need them right and the attitude is more we can do this the overlap is finding the answer within yourself sometimes more effective than receiving guidance if you can do you know if you become a teacher slash coach and can work even if you have no idea what you're doing so this section of the book was talking about the power of teaching or coaching someone else and helping you get better at your own craft or at some other piece. So does anybody have an example where by help, I mean, I was a high school math do go for days, Mm -hmm. hit me.
1: (laughs) So uh, at RMSP, every Wednesday morning, I teach a leadership class. Um, We talk about things that I've noticed in the company or things someone may be struggling with that brings up. And we talk about the ins and outs of leadership and management and leadership versus management and when to do what thing, right? (laughs) Uh, It's something I did because no one teaches that at the company, you're promoted into management, but you're not taught how to be a leader or a people person. You're taught how to do like ticket reviews or whatever you have the tasks, but you're not taught how to lead. So I wanted to make sure that we're trying to cover that base so that we're not setting our uh, people up for failure. Um, So in doing this, uh, the ultimate pinnacle, in my opinion, is the ability to teach someone else a skill and teach about a subject means you understand that much more clearly than someone else does. Mm-hmm. and the ability to teach it effectively uh, and that in a teaching is a skill in and of itself right um, how many of us have had you know you go back to your reference of teaching your parents technology right how, how many times have you had to iterate and reiterate what you've said to them even though you've said the same thing you have to mm-hmm. find different ways to say it so that it clicks better you have to reword it so it makes better sense um, or uh, completely delete that section so they can't access it because they don't understand it. <laughs> This uh, will
0: get them in trouble. We're going to turn that away. Yeah.
1: Off. Uh, take the, the password awesome. off their Wi-Fi. <laughs> exactly. Uh, Pretty much. I just double security. <laughs> uh, but it's definitely, you know, that, that's, the, that's the pinnacle. Uh, and I taught this class for a year. And at the end of the year, I was like, we've done this for a year. I hope everyone, you know, if the feedback I've gotten about it is great. But now I want you to pick a topic and I want you to teach the class on it. Um, and that's been going very well. Um, you know, we've had people taking teaching how to how to do customer service and how to talk to someone during a crisis situation even though it may not nice. really be a crisis um mm-hmm. we've had talks about uh so many different things and it, it's it's been really helpful and I think that if you can teach someone you have a deeper understanding of that subject
0: well you have to organize your own thinking you in order to be able to explain it to someone else um and same thing a lot of people say Even if you don't want to write a book, you should write a book about whatever your big idea is, because the act of putting it in order, organizing it, and really understanding the patterns in that topic is super powerful. I also think, um, well, it's interesting, you said you can teach folks teaching, you know, how to teach but there are also, some folks will find they are natural at that. So my dad was an engineer at Black & Decker, and my mom was a middle school math teacher who had not taken calc along the way. And when I was in high school in calculus, I was sitting across the table from my mom, and my dad's version of teaching was to say it louder. I would say, dad, I'm doing <laughs> that, <laughs> stop that. And so I would say to mom, who doesn't even understand my question, I would say, okay, mom, I'm learning how to do this, right? And I would have to explain to her my question. Now, dad's listening to me explain it to her. And I would say, now I need you to get dad to explain to it. you. And then mm-hmm. you're going to explain it back to me. Now, some of that was I was taking out the parent-child dynamics, so he wasn't going to mm-hmm. yell at mom for sure. But <laughs> in having to teach mom my question, I got myself some clarity around mm-hmm. it. I certainly explained it better in a way that dad understood my problem better. And then as Mm -hmm. he explained it to mom, I would get one level of it. And then as she reworded it, it was really pretty fascinating. But Mm. I think um, like mom definitely had some hidden potential as a uh,
1: (laughs) high school. (laughs) That's interesting because like, so there's a a prominent uh, methodology and development and programming. It's called the rubber duck method. It's mm-hmm. where you have an animate object on your desk, usually, in the case, a rubber duck, and you explain what you're doing to that duck,
2: mm-hmm.
1: yeah. and and explaining it, you solve the problem that you can't fix mm-hmm. because Parity of thought. It, it you start organizing it and having to explain the issue to someone else. Mm -hmm. you know, it has the side effect of making yourself feel dumb because you've just solved the problem. But I I I have several people that I call my rubber duck that I go into. I don't need you to answer Mm -hmm. anything. I just need you to sit here and listen. Maybe ask Mm -hmm. some probing questions.
2: (laughs) And my Maureen does that a lot with me because, you know, verbal processor, I need to talk films through whatever. Um, She has a phrase that I love to use around this subject. And it's, and it's, See one, do one, teach one. Mm. Right. So so you see how it's done, uh, you you learn how it's done, and then you teach how it's done. And in you know, that whole coaching and teaching part here, I like how the book kind of separates the teaching from the coaching, right? Yeah. And so when I think of teaching, I'm like, oh, like math, right? Marty, I'm probably gonna get it wrong. You're like one. Step. One plus one equals two, Yeah. as opposed to the coaching of why does one plus one equal two?
0: And why do you care, which is often the first step to getting them. Jim, is that bringing up anything for you? Yeah. So
3: so I was a teacher in the Peace Corps for two years, uh, and I taught kids in Tongan, so it wasn't their native language. And in many ways, it was the most rewarding experience of my life Um, uh, to this day. I still get questions from the kids that are in my classes. Uh, They've all moved on like different networking. They run the telecom system and stuff like that. So it's very cool. But I think with teaching, uh, there's two things I've definitely learned or experienced that I think were were gifts. The first one is uh, absolute recognition that somebody doesn't understand what you're saying. Um, I think when you're in front of a group of 30 kids and you're saying something, you see 20 of them get it, but 10 of them don't. You really learn to clarify and slow down your message and then grab the others to help them. You know, uh, I think that's good. And then I think the other thing is, um, to your point, it really forces you to think abstractly about complicated concepts and explain them in a way that's simple, that reaches verbal listeners, audio listeners, and sort and of mental listeners, yeah. um, which is good. I, I think one of the challenges I have on the flip side of that is I'm used to teaching. So talking at people really comes naturally as a manager right so but i think uh you know and this is sort of my my most recent journey this is why i like adam grant because i think he's an excellent piece of people person is what does coaching look like how do i get them to get the answer without giving them the answer right yeah that's a totally different skill in a way right
0: so it's interesting because kyle brought up one thing which is you're often promoted to management Um, without those people skills, right? So, and Adam Grant speaks to, it's called the Peter Principle, right? You're sort of promoted to your level of incompetency. Um, But a part of, and it's on page 175 for those you know playing along at home that might wanna check this out. So to your point, Jim, how can we amplify the learning? And uh, Adam Grant mentions that you can amplify the learning two ways. First, let them choose what they're learning and then second, share what they've learned. So I think Kyle's strategy, of, you know, pick something that you know and then organize it in a way to share it. And I had even mm-hmm. written down the note like this works for professional development too, right? This is the Adam Grant mm-hmm. did not write a book just about children. He was telling the story about the schools in Finland, which have an impressive education mm-hmm. model. But this works for grown up and all people, you know, mm-hmm. if they want to learn it, they bring the passion to it. But to be able to share it. Um, yes interesting because from just a marketing perspective um i read the book one million followers by brendan kane and his whole piece was find something interesting to do and share it right and adam grant's talked about the same thing um like if you want to become an influencer if you want to level up and educate find mm-hmm. something interesting to do share it with the world because you're then learning more Mm -hmm. And able to educate more, which I think is what kind of Jim was was mentioning. So, as we're looking at hidden potential on page two hundred five, I got another chart I want to show because this one, my son is um, living amidst this one. Right, we laugh about this one. because he was looking at a uh, job descriptions the other day. Okay, so so I know you can't see it, but this is amount of experience you need for like having a baby, having a dog, driving a car, et cetera, versus getting an entry-level job, right? Like, like, <laughs> oh, oh my yeah. gosh,
1: oh, my my I know. Because so, this is, is also, I, I enjoy reading this. My favorites are the ones who, uh, like there's, the, development job descriptions. It's like, you're, uh, I need five years experience in this programming language. And uh, the and the programming language has only been out for a year. The, the <laughs> develop the person who wrote it doesn't even have the experience that they're looking for, because it hasn't been it doesn't exist It hasn't existed for that long. Uh, and it's just so interesting. But uh, the disconnect between what someone thinks they should look for, and what they actually need Uh, and it is so common like um in our hiring methods we have for technicians specifically we have four questions they ask we ask them four questions and uh if we give it to a recruiter the recruiter will ask the four questions and then just verbatim write out what they say and that determines to us what skill level they are Um, and it's been extremely effective in identifying what level of engineer they could be what challenges they could Uh, demonstrate um but it's just those four questions and it's it's less about the right answer and more about how they answer because you again you can teach the tasks um, but experience helps demonstrate how helps expand that task and it helps you know your exposure to that specific question um, will determine how, how far you've fared as far as the tech industry goes
0: well, and, and based on what Adam Grant says, it's, again, not about the skills that you're coming in with, but the gap that you closed to get there, right, the learning along the way, and what skills you picked up along the way in order to learn, right? So if if it was a struggle for you to get there and you did the work, you've now learned all of the skills on how to learn to do hard work. and that can really amplify it as opposed to somebody for whom it's been super easy along the way there's um if you search kelsey o'connor graduation speech um it's a um, k-e-l-s-e-y o'connor o-c-c-o-o-c-o-n-n-o-r um it's from nc state she gave a, a her graduation speech around it is we should look more to people of who they want to be, not what they want to do. And you should think of yourselves like that, because when you look at those soft skills, those character skills, they get you further on in the world than the, like, the job that you do. And it's interesting because she's got three things that you should say when you introduce somebody, instead of saying, hey, this is Jim from Proper Sky, he's the CEO, right? Instead, you'd say like, hey, Jim is an outstanding teacher. He really likes to help people. He usually does this in helping them solve you know, business problems with technology outcomes. That's a very different thing about Jim. Um, I had not seen that presentation before, but I went back and looked if any of you have had me give you a warm handoff to anyone else. When I introduce people in email, I will state their job at some point, but it's more like Oh my goodness this is kyle spooner he is an amazing connector of humans and can talk all things technology and is really good with x y or z and i hadn't really connected the dots before that it was about who you are as a person right and your core values uh, and less about the, the technical skills you bring to the table interesting
1: um, mm-hmm. i i, I uh, i've done i've done both of those before depending on the situation mm-hmm. um like because if someone's asked because i was going to touch on this earlier but sometimes you have to as as an individual you have to recognize that your ability to teach someone is no longer going to work i have i have reached the ability for me to teach you i have reached i i can no longer help you some further people along.
0: learn because you're the teacher and some people don't learn because you're
1: the teacher so <laughs> i hear you know. uh but at, at some point, you run out of stuff you're able to teach them to help them grow on the journey that they want to take. Um, and at that point, I try to hand them off. If they're asking me questions, I I won't be able to a- answer with the the effectiveness I like to generally try. So at that point, I will go and say, "Hey, this is so and so. They've been doing this for years. They love helping people. They they have an expertise in this. Uh, and if I needed something, this is who I would go to." Um, and I didn't realize. It's yeah, good, what?
0: So that's yeah. actually a good thing to do. Yeah. Too. <laughs>
2: exactly, makes so, more sense. So this this morning, you know, with with our staff, you know, we 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 do a check in Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and this morning with our staff, um, I opened the conversation with um, with a very pointed and open ended question on a particular on a specific thing, right? And and I talked a little bit about this on LinkedIn earlier, which is you know, when you ask the first question, you're setting the tone for the rest of the conversation, right, and so by, and and this kind of, I'll bring it full circle here, Um, making that introduction Especially in and around hidden potential, right? So we've gone as far as we could in the teaching and the coaching and in the building up of those people, and we need to hand those people off to somebody way smarter than us in other areas that we don't know. And I love, uh, I love that concept of talk about who they are as a person and their wins or losses or successes rather than Tim is the CEO and and and. And where I picked that up from <laughs> was y'all know, I don't drink anymore, but back in my drinking days when I was hanging out at the bar and people would sit next to you and they'd look over and be like, Hey, what do you do for work? Right. Cause that's the common thing that like, how are you, what do you do? Yeah. And, and I, I, it always just bugged me. So I would, and I would always open the conversation with either some question like if you could have lunch with anybody in the world or if they asked me what do i do i would always respond with well from eight to five i play on the computer but my work is in my relationships and so trying to take that different approach when we're talking about coaching and teaching and learning and handing off you know i hate to say stop doing the pat answers right and be real with people yeah, and yeah, in that real in that real in that reality or in getting real in that open and honesty is where you then can find that hidden potential
0: the real relationship what do you think jim
3: it's interesting i, I remember talking to one of my uh, wife's friends and she she uh she moved from the east coast to the west coast she moved from boston over to uh san diego total total
1: transition. terrible decision
3: terrible exactly yeah weather was awful uh sun was too hot uh
1: yeah, also west great. coast time zone <laughs> yeah.
3: terrible So uh, anyway, I think what was interesting is, you know, we were just like having wine and talking about like, what's the difference between East Coast and West Coast? She's like, when you go to the East Coast in Boston, you walk into a bar, the first thing they ask you is, what do you do for a living, right? It defines you. She says, the first thing they ask you in San Diego is, what do you do for fun? And, uh, you know, I was like, you know, what a great way to open up conversation, right? Because I think, you know, work is such a crucial part, particularly in our industry, right, the people on this call, I assume but really it's not what defines me it's not what i'm here for right so you know, my thing is kids family travel you know what i mean that's that's what i do for fun and work is the the me- the means to the end right and so uh, i try to now open those conversations with what do you do for fun right so we're standing next to a stranger it's such an easy conversation to have and you know it lets them define exactly what kind of a person they are right and maybe the first thing they talk about is work right uh, but I, I,
1: I'm thinking the same thing, because I'm so involved in MSP Geek, I, I'm like, I guess that is my fun, running a community and helping other people, I guess, uh, which seems kind of boring and work-like. Uh, I, I, need to get a, I need to get hobbies. Uh, <laughs> that's is what, I'm, is what I'm hearing. Yeah, so that's you're yeah, yeah. <laughs> like,
0: doing. I think that's totally fair, because I, too, love mine. Now, I started in this conversation when I was a stay-at-home mom, and people would say, what do you do for work, right? So, so, think on that one, folks. So, like, oh, yeah, okay.
1: <laughs> and that also might just be a culture thing because, right in media nowadays, uh, or, and, you know, just growing up and just life, it's it always talks about all the TV shows and stuff. It's, it's all about the work, it's not about the fun, right? Mad Men's a great example. It's about an advertising agency, and it's nothing, yeah. they, they, there's nothing that they do for fun it's just about the office and the situations in the office and high rise and they ask what do you do for work and they have conversations about the office and the the tv show the office it's about the office and selling paper uh they just have goofy events during that timeline uh it's and i think that might be the reasoning why uh is it's just growing up on that it's it's an easy conversation starters to ask what someone does for work
0: but I think the app what someone does for fun, first, it does a few things. It eliminates one, a lot of assumptions, which is where people get into dangerous modes. So when I was a teacher, um, actually assistant principal, I'd taken courses around courageous conversation around race. And they were talking about like don't make assumptions. So I had three um, boys in my office uh, one day and I said, so what do you like to do for fun? So, Jim, I'm glad you reminded me of this. And they said, well, we don't play basketball. And I said, did you think I thought you played basketball because you're black? And they said, yeah, a lot of people do. And I said, well, I'm not a lot of people. They said, we can see that. That's why we're here, hanging out in your office, right? <laughs> and we had a great conversation. one's like, well, I'm fast, I like to do this. The other one said, I play baseball. And the other one said, well, I, in fact, I do like to play basketball, but I also like this, right? So we had this whole conversation. I said, "We." The bell rang. We stepped out in the hallway. Another staff member came out, said, hey, guys, going to shoot hoops after school? And their heads fell because assumptions have been made and the reason they said they didn't appreciate assumptions being made is because if you're assuming that about me what else are you assuming about me yeah right and so i think that the whole quiet like there are a lot of reasons that what do you do for fun gets to like i want to know about the whole you which is i think very much what everybody wants to their employees we spend more time most of the time with our employees than we do with um you know the people that live in our so, home so bringing the whole I- to the table is important go ahead
2: if I could, like, uh, you know, not to bring it back to the book, but pr- to bring it back, like I
1: what are, you
2: know, as well, and this is a fascinating conversation, because it leads into my thought process of what are some of those thought provoking, open ended, not pat questions we can be asking to try to find that hidden potential.
0: So that actually is a great question to lead into i was going to ask the same thing he talked about it's kind of a bad idea to ask for feedback it's a good idea to ask for advice because feedback is saying like oh if you could go back in time what would you do differently instead of advice being like we're going to learn from where we are and so i wonder as an interview question if you said what is something what advice would you give yourself about a mistake you made Mm -mm. previously right that's a very positive i'm willing to accept that you you probably like everybody makes mistakes so what's some advice you would give yourself moving forward i feel like that's an open-ended one that would work jim you look like man i might want to write that one down
3: <laughs> I, I did that's actually i was typing it i mean it's that's outstanding right so there's nothing worse than saying all right guys anything else you know and then just the awkward silence that follows right Where you know how could we have improved this Um, uh, you know uh, what do you think i should do here you're absolutely right every time i ask that um uh, it's a totally different conversation uh, and i also think it level sets or sets an expectation of the person that you're asking that their input is um, valuable right regardless of whether you believe it is or not setting yep. that expectation i think really does it's a great way to frame a question um or feedback or to collect feedback
1: you can sure. do that as a someone who noticed something as well instead of saying hey do you mind if i give you feedback you say hey do you mind if i give you some advice for next time this may happen um mm-hmm. um that it, it puts it in the positive light you're good
2: No, it's just it it gets me thinking because I was literally just asking that this morning, you know, I tend to always lean on the what feedback do you have for me? How can I improve? What am I doing? And and instead, Marnie, I like the word advice, right, Um, because words matter. Um, and, 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 and literally
0: feedback seems like I've got to criticize you. Whereas advice is, Ooh, they might want my idea.
2: Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. And so, you know, it's literally, and, and, and I probably should know better. Um, I read a great book years ago, whether you agree or not, Tony Robbins, transformational vocabulary, um, which was really eye-opening on, you know, the words that you choose and feedback versus advice right and just one little word can have a completely different context and connotation
0: So, but it achieves the
2: same
1: goal
0: hmm, absolutely probably a little more positivity along the way
1: it's also subconscious when someone says hey i need feedback and hey i need advice subconsciously the thought changes like you don't realize like it's not a surface level thing um when you are when, when when you're being asked that question um so I, I i would say that it's absolutely uh important to adjust uh in that instance but also with the word advice you can ignore it much easier because it's advice and not feedback <laughs> that you should probably take to heart
0: <laughs> you know it's um when I was teaching, I heard it takes ninety positives in terms of feedback uh, to counterbalance one negative because you'll perseverate wow. on the negative. I think if you think about that a little bit differently, um like at IT Nation, gave a presentation, one hundred and fifty people were in the room, right? And one person said, "I would have wanted to see that." I don't even remember what the other. I had very nice <laughs> things said, but the one I was like. What do they want? How do I do that next time, right? because you really do perseverate? So I think the notion of advice is a little more um, constructive for sure. So Tim, you mentioned that words are important. One of the books that, and we do have a poll out, so if folks wanna vote on, um, we already have the one for next time, but we'll vote for the following. One of the books that I put on the list is Weekend Language, because it talks about um, how to not sound salesy, basically in presentations, et cetera. Um, and it comes down to the word you use, et cetera. Uh, and one of the things that I think Adam Grant did well in the book, and Tim, you and I were talking about this earlier, is he really uses stories to help you understand his messages, right? So not just words matter, um, but the stories you tell around it. So I'm curious, this will be the last kind of big conversation that we have, uh, and then we'll answer a few little ones when and where have you found storytelling to be effective mm. in helping either teach something or explain something or communicate something
2: well i mean have you seen anything i put out there so <laughs> i i i I love and live and breathe storytelling and analogies um you know in in the msp when i was there at the msp and in working with a small business you know you know, dealing with the objections of they don't want to do this or they don't want to do that, right? Or why do I want, well, you're just trying to sell me a risk assessment. You're just trying to scare me on HIPAA and being able to speak in their terms, right? Being able to speak their language in a story that they can relate to. So yeah, I'm talking to a doctor's office and I'm trying to get them to put 2FA on and do a risk assessment and do their annual security risk analysis, SRA, like they're supposed to. And when I used words like SRA and 2FA and big, you know, cyber words, and they're like glazing over, instead of flipping the conversation and asking them, hey, doc, something's wrong with my leg. Can you just give me a pill to fix it? Well, the doctor's gonna, no, 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 I have to, Evaluate it. I have to go through the process of figuring out what's wrong. Right. And so when I flipped the conversation from SRA and two factor, when I flipped the conversation towards, you know, They're I perfect. can't I can't understand and help you protect your business because I need to I need to evaluate it. I need to assess it. I need to like do an MRI on it. I need to be able to look at and work alongside you to determine where those risks are in your business, to determine like, and storytelling, at least for me, it's like, it's kind of my go-to. And as MSPs, stop with the acronyms and stop with the like buzzwords, like they're okay to do that where appropriate, but know your audience, right? Storytelling has been greatly effective in the MSP, trying to help the, the end customer understand you face this stuff, we're here to help, right? And it's been really good for, it's been really good at least when I was at the MSP to break that down. And you can do those analogies and you can do those storytelling in almost any industry and any vertical your MSP is in. And now with all the advancements of generative AI and blah, 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 you can literally have them write you a script to do that.
0: Tell that story. (laughs) I know that, At evolve mm-hmm. I was in Jim's. i've presented in jim's room before right and we've talked about like the maslow's hierarchy and how we can talk about delivering business outcomes and making it about their business and not just we've got some flux capacitors we want to sell you etc right
3: yeah there, there's a story that i always tell uh so we always get these doctors right so we do a lot of hipaa work right it's like well she works from home she's got her home computer can't we just install our stuff in this home pc right and uh you know i i think we're tribal and i find that stories resonate significantly better than any sort of example i say we can but let me tell you a story so we did this years ago for an old woman she was 62 years old she had an old computer and the doctor didn't want to pay for it and so we agreed to it. and we put our endpoint detection tool on it and went and ripped through her machine and killed her hard drive we later found out that every picture that she had ever taken of her grandchildren she was 10 and a half years was on that hard drive no backup right so whose fault is it? Is it mine, right? Because I put the tool in there to protect your information. Is it hers because she didn't have a backup, right? And so that sort of stuff touches you emotionally because that's a real outcome. It's a real outcome, right? So is it worth $50 a month? Is it worth $75 a month, right? To take care of your employees and do the right thing? You know, I don't wanna be in that situation ever again. And I certainly never wanna make that phone call, right? And so I think when you can sort of connect the human piece to technology, right particularly through storytelling I think you're much more effective at delivering the value of your message right and I think this is one of the things I really appreciate about you Marnie I think you do an excellent job at sort of like reiterating the value of of what we do in a way that touches executives where it matters not necessarily through the, the dots you know uh and, yeah. and the bits right
1: I think it also yeah. can is it's useful in demonstrating understanding one of the the topics we've talked about in our leadership uh trainings was building a culture of risk allowance if you were to grow as a person you're going to have to make mistakes right that is the quickest way to get a b- deeper understanding of what happened what went wrong and how to not do that again and to be better um right you learn more from failure than you do success right you can learn a million ways on how not to do it, but if you find the one way to do it right, uh, you still have a ton of ways you can still do it wrong. Um, but in, in doing that, I I like to... I, I give two scenario two stories that happened to me personally uh, in my career. Uh, the first one is I deleted a client's critical terminal server. Um, it was overwritten by uh, the NetApp line when I connected it from one VMware host to another. Uh, there was no dialogue pop up, I didn't know I didn't do it a specific, certain way. The only way I knew how to do it, I did it. Uh, and I booted up the server. It ran great. Uh, and then I restarted it for some reason. And then it blue screen when it came back up. And then it eventually didn't exist <laughs> as it was overriding. So it <laughs> took me 12 hours to rebuild it. Uh, and that humanizes you because it says that you've made mistakes. But in, in demonstrating that, I talk about the results of that the client was obviously upset i understand i have no issues with that but the ceo came and yelled at me yelled at my team lead uh and didn't do anything to help solve the problem he actually tried to sweep it under the rug that it was me who did it Uh, a a level one engineer uh, who had a client down and was trying to help when everyone else was busy um and then i go to the second scenario where i accidentally flooded uh our important client or the vips of our clients our point of contacts with hundreds of emails all in a period of like five minutes uh when i was working in a uh workflow for and manage um as soon as i seen what happened i recognized it stopped it put in place told the team leads what happened the 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 team you know leaders what happened and that and then i went and told the president of the company um and said hey look this is the situation it's been rectified and he looked at me and he said are you gonna do it again i said no he's like do you learn anything i'm like yeah i'm test a little bit more make sure that what I'm doing, you know, verify the logic I'm using is like, all right, appreciate it. And that was it. It was those two things. And that was it. That was the difference situation. People make mistakes, but as leaders and as teachers and as coaches, it's how you handle the people making those mistakes that become critical and how they grow. Uh, I learned, I, I grew more, from the second scenario than the first one, because the first one just put fear into me. Yeah, yeah, And I was scared to do anything that had any risk. The second one, I took risk, but I evaluated and tested and was more careful, but I still took risks. And that is the that is the ultimate thing that uh, I think storytelling helps evaluate and demonstrate is that you are also human. You also can make mistakes or have similar situations that happens and connect them emotionally to you as you're having a conversation.
0: One, well, it's a powerful leadership piece too, right? Like this book club is kind of about leadership books. And some folks might say like in hidden potential, I think the hiring piece is an obvious connection on how you're looking for hidden potential. But what you just said about storytelling and the reaction to it gives a lesson around leadership um, and not just (laughs) like, that's a compelling story to get someone to understand how they're reacting to a situation impacts the situation as well. I had a couple, we only got a couple minutes left, um, but there was one line in the book, it's on page 189. Again, if you're playing along at home um, that talks about, so I think brainstorming with teams is really important. Uh, And then in this space, there are a lot of people that are more than happy to say that they are introverts in general. Um, And what the book talked about was there's this new notion of brain writing is better than brainstorming. So brain writing is when you tell folks, okay, at the next meeting, we are going to brainstorm around solutions for our new VCIO process, let's say, just because I know what that acronym means, right? And everyone is to spend 15 minutes brain writing their ideas down to bring to the brainstorm because the extroverts of the crowd, yes, I was the girl in class that like just sat there with my arm up the entire class period. <laughs> we are on about everything, right? And if the teacher didn't slow me down, how many times have I heard, okay, can someone other than Marnie answer that question, please, right? Like you have to give space to all of the people in the room to recognize some hidden potential. So asking people to take time to do their own personal brainstorming called brainwriting. Um, prior to brainstorming, I think it is really important. In teaching, there was an activity called think, pair, share. So it is where you give someone two minutes to think about their response. They then have two minutes to pair up with someone else to explain it. Because think about what we said at the beginning of the show. Teaching and coaching, if you can teach and coach your idea to someone else, right? You You frame it, more carefully, you get some clarity around it, and then share. So the pairs could then share out. Uh, it's a good strategy to make sure all the voices in the room are heard. Um, so I'm curious if there are meetings, activities, or other areas in your business where brain writing is better than brainstorming, kind of coming up with it on the fly. And Jim, for sure, we have talked about like, why do you send an agenda two weeks in advance and ask people what they would like to see on an agenda? Because you're trying to avoid them, you know, yelling at you about ticket 1837 or whatever, but also it gives the introverts time to really process and think about it. So any places where that would hold true um, in everyday work?
2: Yeah. So, I mean, as you know, all know, I I, I do a, a weekly peer group and I needed to learn to shut up and let whatever question or thought or topic sit with people. And I'd be yeah. like, so what do you think about blah? And I just taught you and it coached you and blah. And then silence for like a second and I had to fill the space. So what I personally did was I have a sticky note right on my monitor that says stop talking and the number 10 yeah because I say something
0: nine count so I'm glad to hear you've got 10.
2: (laughs) (laughs) so so and I literally had to do that to force myself into that habit to allow as you said Marnie space for that to happen I still don't do it well but I'm getting better so I had to actually do something for me personally to like stop and wait and and put that visual cue it's literally right there before I start my group or my whatever and and it's actually started to work because people actually start to respond when I give them space right and so allow and I think the idea of what you were saying agenda two weeks ahead or whatever that kind of stuff like allow those introverts or allow those people the opportunity to think about it formulate their thoughts. And then they can come with whatever they whatever they want to bring to the table, so I love that
0: we've got two minutes left so i'll give Kyle and then Jim Kyle, thoughts on. Uh, that? Yes uh brain brainstorming brain writing any any places where you see uh
1: I don't know that it's it preparing for a discussion is always super important and everyone should take time and prepare for uh a discussion point ahead of time um which is basically the same thing as I'm assuming is brain writing it's just preparing ahead of time um it also helps you keep track of what you've discussed uh in brainstorming you're sitting and having a conversation and thanks to the likes of firefly that can be captured but uh no one has fireflies or zoom ai or teams whatever ai writing you know metric people have now um but if you've had a point and you discuss it and be like well marty had this great idea what was it and you're like oh i don't know we've been talking for like an hour uh you can now have at least a reference point to where maybe you can track down that great idea that you had that's now relevant because you've solved a part of the problem or whatever. Um, That is, to to Tim's point about silence, is a skill I'm trying to learn. Uh, It is very difficult for me to be quiet. Uh, I'm an introvert, 100%, which is very weird. Uh, I like to say I'm an extroverted introvert, uh, which basically, I think the the most apt the most apt description that I read, uh, at some point was I have a battery and when that battery's out, I need to be alone and be private and get away from everyone. Uh, and some days that battery is tiny. Some days that battery is massive, but, um, when I have a thought and a discussion point, I want to speak it, but, um, being the last one to talk about a specific situation or discussion holds a lot of value. Because even if you are the expert, uh, even if you do have the solution or resolution, or the one who gets to make the decision about the solution or resolution, giving other people a chance to speak and other people a chance to provide that, um, even if you don't go with their plan or idea or whatever, uh, fills them with value. And it's not every, a lot of people don't realize, you know, we're humans, right? We feel feel things even the emotionless ones have feelings uh they need they need to understand that what they're providing is useful even if it's never used right I've had conversations with people that I've never ever taken their advice but I still have conversations with them about it because they may they may not what they're providing may not immediately be good but I may take that and adapt it that may be better
0: and you learn from them too. Mm-hmm. Jim, I will let you, just so all voices- I'll be hear. pithy. I'll be
3: pithy. I, I'm uh, very cognizant of the touch. Sorry. I'm like, Kyle. Kyle. <laughs> Excuse. <Jeez>. Uh, <laughs> uh, no. So uh, I think one of the things that, uh, honestly, just take, just this conversation has been pretty engaging. On our morning calls, we've got 20 people, right? And so, hey, what do you guys think? It's the same four dudes. They're always answering, right? And so we've always been asking ourselves, how do we get these guys more engaged? And the answer, I think, is you grab the introvert and you ask them for their advice what advice do you have for us in this particular topic because this is the thing that you probably touch most often right and I think that is an excellent takeaway uh from this call if if I do that I think I'll be in a good spot so appreciate it my only
1: advice with that as an introvert who's been called on before uh at least pick an area where they may be have experience or a subject at least the first time Mm -hmm. um because if you call on me mm-hmm. and ask me uh, what I think about this marketing principle and my advice I'm going to be like Google it yeah. <laughs> because yeah. I don't have the expertise in that area and I, any advice I give you will does not fit the narrative of current marketing practices well yeah. the you will
0: say the other strategy is to give an <clears throat> introvert advance warning that you're coming to them
1: like, hey, Tim, that, that I
0: want to I want bring this up, but in two minutes, when we get back to this, I'm going to ask you for your advice and don't expect him to do anything in that two minutes, but to get his brain active for it um, so that like they call it, it's just an anxiety reducer. I know we have to go. I'm getting hollered out on the back end, but <laughs> <laughs> I'm so glad everybody came next time. We are going to read Dare to Lead by Brene Brown. So Dare to Lead by Brene Brown. Um, We'll put it out on social. It'll be the last Friday of the month. Um, So please do all join us, Jim. I'm super glad you came today. Kyle and Tim, always glad to have you. And uh, thanks on the back end. Sorry I ran over a little.
2: (laughs) Thanks. Thanks, thanks, everyone. Thanks, Aaron.
3: been a broadcast of the MSP Media Network.